We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster. It's Thursday morning. It's 10 a.m. It's about 12 hours after UConn beat Villanova 74-66 to to move to 14-0 on the season and uh, move into first place in the Big East regular season standings. Jordan Hawkins, 22 points. Alex Caravan, 15.6 rebounds. UConn overcame a, uh, a slow night from Adama Sinogo. He had seven points and one board against Eric Dixon. Uh, to hold Villanova at bay, to uh, to beat them in a game where they were never really able, UConn was never really able to pull away, but it never really felt like it was all that much in doubt. An absolutely sold out XL Center crowd. There was national media uh, in the building um, about all that you could ask for when it comes to UConn college basketball, when it comes to Big East basketball, when it comes to kind of the national relevance and national attention that you're going to get on this team, this conference, this program, this sport everything that we want out of basketball, right? The, it just, it feels better when UConn and Villanova are playing big conference games uh, in, in Big East play. So that was fun to watch. There's a lot that I want to get into. There's a lot that I want to talk about from this game, from the, I'm doing air quotes here, underwhelming performance from Adama Sonogo against Eric Dixon to uh, how good I think Villanova is to the answers to some of these, uh, these questions that are arising with the way that Villanova played uh, Andre Jackson to UConn's next four games, which are absolutely brutal. I don't know if they're going to find a way to win all four of those. I would be fairly surprised, uh, all things considered, if they were to go 4-0 in this next stretch. But uh, before we get into all that, a couple of reminders. The Field of 68 After Dark, it is our nightly live stream show, 11 p.m. Eastern time on the Field of 68 YouTube channel, starting on January 12th. It's going to be simulcast on Sirius XM nationally the college hoops radio station that they have uh, it's the best way to stay caught up on everything college basketball the night that it happens we have guys like jeff goodman randolph childress john henson tyler hansborough matt mccall uh, a lot of big names a lot of uh, very smart basketball people terrence oglesby john fanta uh, breaking down the game um, 11 p.m. Eastern time. Like I said, you can also get get it in the Apple podcast feed or the Spotify podcast feed, even where you get podcasts for absolutely free. Uh, you can listen to it every uh, every morning on your drive to work if you need to. If you are more into reading things, please subscribe to the field of 68 daily 
It is absolutely free as well. It's in your inbox every Monday through Friday morning at 8.30 a.m. It's the best way to get caught up on the sport. If you want to read something while you are drinking your coffee, while you are eating your breakfast, while you are taking a, uh, a morning dump, whatever you are doing in the morning, you want to find a way to get caught up on anything that happened in the sport. Uh, best way to do it. Field of 68 daily, 8.30 a.m. in your email inbox. Lastly, the Field of 68 merch store is live. We got this nice Top Dogs t-shirt in there, Field of 68.shop. Uh, if you go right now and use the promo code HOLIDAY, which is still live and still active, uh, you can get 20% off your first order there. So uh, let's get into that game from last night. First and foremost, I just want to say I thought that Kyle Neptune's game plan was really sharp and really smart. Uh, and was helped by the fact that Villanova has the perfect kind of roster build to be able to slow down this UConn team and do what you want to be able to do to stop this UConn team. It starts with Eric Dixon, who is the perfect five man to kind of take away what Adama Sanogo and Donovan Klingon can provide, right? Like he's just so strong and so physical that he's not going to allow those guys to seal where they want to seal. Klingon's got really no chance just because the center of gravity is so high and he's so young. Like Eric Dixon is just... He's built like a wrestler. He's built like an offensive lineman. You're not moving him if you're Donovan Klingon. You're not moving him if you're Adama Sanogo. And Adama Sanogo is one of the strongest players in college basketball. So um, combine that with the fact that there are at least three and a lot of times four players that can match up with and probably are bigger, stronger, and more athletic overall on the uh, perimeter positions for Villanova when it comes to Brandon Slater, Cam Whitmore, Caleb Daniels, Jordan Longino. Uh, they have... They have a team that is built to be able to guard UConn the way that you need to be able to guard UConn. Combine that with the fact that uh, they don't go off their offensive rebounds. They don't let you get out and transition off of missed shots. And this is just kind of a, a team that is designed to be able to play the way that you need to play to be able to beat this UConn team. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. What I want to start with here is what Villanova did to kind of slow down Adama Sanogo. I think the perfect two examples are those, those last two possessions where – Andre Jackson's got wide open threes from the corner. Essentially what they were doing, and they did this the entire game, uh, but it was most evident on these last two possessions, was that they just did not guard Andre Jackson on the perimeter. They basically said, if you're going to beat us shooting threes, you can beat us shooting threes. And on those last two possessions, it was kind of the same thing, right? Alex Caravan has the ball on the right wing. The guy that's guarding Andre Jackson is already overstanding next to Adama Sanogo, double teaming him before he even touches the ball. Caravan throws that cross-court pass. You get Andre Jackson wide open in the corner, wide open in the corner. They don't even close out hard on them. They just say, okay, shoot it. That's the shot that we want. He missed the first. He banged home the second. It was the biggest shot of the game. It put UConn up seven with about two minutes left, and that was that. That is what UConn is going to need. That is what they need from Andre Jackson. That is what they're going to have to have him do if teams are going to start guarding Adama Sanogo and Donovan Klingon this way. Um Part of the reason that's noteworthy is because you can't even, when defenses play that way, you can't even really get Klingon doing the things that Klingon does best, right? Part of the value that he has is the ability to be a vertical spacer. Like he's a lob target more than Adama Sanogo is a lob target. You can run him off of ball screens. You get him rolling to the rim. Someone wants to play drop coverage. Someone wants to, uh, to go over ball screens. Like you're going to be able to get to the rim, throw it up at the square, and, and Klingon's going to be able to go up and get it. But when you have that extra tagger down there in the, in the lane, when you have all that space, when it's clogged up in the paint, you can't get that guy rolling to the basket. So uh, finding a way to make teams pay if they are going to help off of, Adon off of Andre Jackson like that is something that's uh, 
that's really, really important. We're going to get to that in a second, but I do think that the the way that this game played out was it really showcased the value this year of the multiple weapons that UConn has, right? Of the fact that they don't have to get everything through Sonogo offensively. He doesn't have to be the first option anymore. You want to take him away. Well, you know what? We're going to run some pin downs for Jordan Hawkins. We're going to find a way to get him running off of this ball screen. We're going to find a way to get him running off of, or I'm sorry, off of this, uh, this staggered screen. We're going to find a way to get him coming off of this, uh, this elevator action. Uh, we're going to find a way to be able to get Alex Caravan open threes in the corner because you're hit, you're, you're helping off of him. Um, last season, the options for UConn were essentially, okay, we're going to try to get the ball to Adama Sonogo, who was gassed by the end of the year, going to get him a post touch. Or we're going to try to get Tyrese Martin going one on one to the basket, or RJ Cole, who is all of five foot nine, coming off of a ball screen and trying to hit a mid range jumper. That is a tough way uh, to make a living. This year, it is a little bit different because one, you have the threat of Hawkins, who is such a good shooter and is so dangerous coming off of screens that it changes the way that defenses guard them. Like they, you always talk about sh- like gravity, the shooters with gravity, right? He's got gravity. He he manipulates a defense when you run him off of a screen. It's something that you have to pay attention to. And when the, when it's a staggered screen involved, there are going to be six players involved in that action. The two guys guarding the screeners, the two screeners themselves, and the guy that is guarding Jordan Hawkins. So all of a sudden, you have those six guys in an action and you can play kind of a two-man game on the other side of the floor. That opens a lot of things up. And the fact that, Hawkins looks like the second coming of Ray Allen looks like the modern day version of Rip Hamilton. Like that's, that's really important. And that matters that, that kind of changes what their ceiling can be this year. Um, The other part of it is that instead of having Isaiah Whaley be the guy at the four, the guy that this year it's, it's Alex Caravan. Instead of having the guy that's going to go one-on-one be Tyrese Martin this year, it's Andre Jackson. And I know he's not quite as good of a shooter, um, but he is a guy that can be put into a playmaker role. You put him into a ball screen role. You could use him in different ways. It's just the the fact that you can you can beat other teams different ways than simply looking for one of those three guys. I think it changes what UConn ceiling is this year. So um, I think that's important to note. But it's still going to come down to a situation where a lot of teams are going to do what Villanova did defensively yesterday there's they're gonna they're gonna play off of Andre Jackson if Hassan Diarra is on the floor they're gonna play off of him as well uh things get a little bit complicated because when UConn made their run last night it was when they had Hassan Diarra and Andre Jackson on the floor together on the floor at the same time that's what made them so good defensively that's what was able to spark that run with a little bit of pressure that's where you got that title wave that 16 to 3 surge that changed the game but it kind of limits what you can do in the half court so there's a couple things that I wanted to talk about here, a couple a couple different tweaks that you can have. The first one I thought uh, came about nine minutes left in the second half. Um, it was a really interesting action and one that I thought was really smart. Asan Diara and Andre Jackson were on the floor together. You had Jordan Hawkins and Naheem Aline out there, and you had Adama Sinogo with the five. And basically what they did was they crossed the two shooters, got the two shooters in the corner, got uh, got Jackson coming off of a uh, a a pinned down in the middle of the floor, got him the ball from DR at the high post, made it so that the two guys in the corners were shooters. You can't leave them and had a high low with Andre Jackson uh, and Adama Sonogo. Andre Jackson, your best passer. Adama Sonogo, your best sealer. You're able to give him the ball. It was a foul. You didn't have to worry about people helping off of Andre Jackson because he was the passer. You didn't have to worry about people ha- helping off of Asan Diara because he was the point guard at the top of the key. Uh, and you were able to get a um, Adama Sonogo post touch. I only remember that being run once, but it's something where 
I think you will see a lot more actions like that as things move forward. If teams continue to guard Villanova this way, Danny Hurley is really smart. He's really creative. Luke Murray, Kamani, Tom Moore, those guys know what they're doing. Uh, and I think they're going to find a way to create more of those opportunities. And that's something that I think is going to work moving forward. Um, the other option, you know, just have Andre Jackson be the guy that initiates things at the point. And instead of having Tristan Newton be the offensive, uh, the offensive starter, so to speak, the point guard, the guy with the ball in his hands, let it be Andre, put Tristan in the deep corner, have him be the help guy. Um, and it's a little bit more difficult to leave him shooting three than it is to leave Andre Jackson. So uh, that's another option. You could also, you know, have Andre Jackson run around and be a screener, you know, take advantage of his athleticism, have him slip some of those screens. All of a sudden you're probably gonna be able to get some lobs out of it. So there's creative ways to take advantage of it. I think the fact that Villanova had as much length and athleticism as they did, and they are so good at switching everything um, that it kind of nullified that a little bit. When you switch everything, it, it, it kind of forces you to have to play one-on-one -on -one and win one-on-one. -on -one. So a lot of it is just like a tough matchup for, for Villanova. Or I'm sorry, the Villanova is a tough matchup for UConn, and it kind of is what it is. Um, I was worried about this game. I was much more worried about this game than I think a lot of people were nationally, than I think a lot of UConn fans were. And I'm very happy to see uh, UConn come out with the win. The The biggest thing for me taking coming away from this is that like just continue to stay the course. We can sit here and say, you got to tweak this. I think you can fix this. I think this might work a little bit better. I'll be interested to see what Hurley comes up with this. But the biggest and single most important point is to stay the course. You don't have to change all that much. You're number two in the country right now in Kempom. You just built, beat a better than their record says Villanova team pretty soundly um, in your own building. I mean, look, the strength of this UConn team is going to be its defense and it's going to be its rebounding, and that is going to be the case the entire season, right? That is what they are. That is their identity. That is who they are as a team. They're top 10 nationally. I'm going to read you off some stats here. They're top 10 nationally in defensive effective field goal percentage. They are top 35 in the country in defensive turnover rate. They are top 35 in the country in offensive rebounding rate. They're top 10 in the country in defensive three-point shooting percentage and the rate of – and both defensive three-point shooting percentage and the rate of threes that they force. Um we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They're top 10 in the country in defensive assist rate. To put this into context and kind of explain like what they want to do defensively, they basically win because they force opponents to beat them one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, they force them to drive into tough twos. They clean up the glass on both ends of the floor, and they win the turnover battle. 
Villanova shot 59% on twos last night. They held UConn to eight offensive rebounds on 33 potential offensive rebounds, and they got UConn's two most important players, Adama Sanogo and Andre Jackson, into foul trouble in the first half. We're going to talk about that in a second because I think there's a little bit to get into. And UConn still won fairly comfortably. Um, I think Villanova is exactly the kind of matchup that can, should, and did trouble this group. And it didn't matter, right? Villanova completely ignored the offensive glass. They completely took away what UConn really does best, and that's get out in transitions. They took away the the opportunity for missed shots to become layups at the other end of the floor, to become spotted threes. They are really good at finding mismatches that they like and attacking them, and they did that. We saw that a little bit with Caleb Daniels taking Jordan Hawkins into the post. Uh, we saw that a little bit with um, with with Eric Dixon kind of getting Adama Sanogo in the mid post and kind of going at him there. Uh, they are if they had a good point guard, if they had someone that could eliminate some of those those turnovers, some of the uh the, the stuff that happened early in the second half when Asan Diara got out there and just started wreaking havoc, um they could have eliminated those pick six turnovers to the you know what I'm saying, the pick six turnovers, the turnovers, the live ball turnovers that leads directly to a layup at the other end of the floor. And I think we're having a very different conversation about what this game was, right? If they had a point guard, if Villanova had a point guard, they don't. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but I do think a lot a lot of credit has to go to Kyle Neptune for coming up with this game plan, for executing that game plan. He had a terrific scout. Uh, he had a team capable of executing it. And UConn still won in a game where their win probability was never less than 79.5%, according to Ken Palm. That, to me, is a great sign because I'm going to go uh, – look, I, I will die on this hill. Villanova is better than what their seven and six record says they are. I'm not just trying to say this because I'm a UConn fan and I'm trying to talk myself into this idea that they're better than what the the last two big East, eight biggest games have been. They're better than struggling with Georgetown at home, better than str- struggling with the seven to six teams at home. Look at it like this. Caleb Daniels is a fifth year, all big East player. Eric Dixon is a fourth year, all big East player. Cam Whitmore is a lottery pick and, for my money, the most talented player in the Big East Conference, one of the most talented players in all of college basketball. They are 5-1 and one with Whitmore healthy in six games this season. They are quite literally, according to Torvik, 101 spots better nationally with Cam Whitmore playing than they are without him playing. They are a top 40 team in the country with Cam Whitmore on the floor. They are outside the top 140 without Cam Whitmore on the floor. Brandon Slater is a fifth-year guy that averaged double figures last season who is their fourth option offensively. I know the point guard situation is a major, major issue for this group, but that top four that they have is as good as the top four for what all but 10 teams in college basketball, considering their age, considering their talents, considering their length and athleticism. Mark Armstrong is not ready for the kind of game that last night was yet but he may be ready for that kind of a game the next time these two teams face off, which is March 4th in Philadelphia, the last day of the regular season. I say all that to say this. Villanova was horrible to start the year. They lost five of their first seven games. One of them was to Portland. One of them was to Temple. Like this, But this is a new head coach, right? This is a team that is miss- that was missing at the start of the year, arguably their two best players. This was a team that is trying to replace all everything point guard Colin Gillespie with a point guard of the future that is, quite frankly, still of the future. They don't have the resume for it right now, but to me, this group at the moment is tournament team good, top 40, top 30 in the country kind of good, right? 
if and when Justin Moore gets back and is playing it near 100%, this team will be top 20 in the country good. I think that will happen at the latest somewhere around Valentine's Day. The question is going to be whether or not Villanova, during that stretch, can put together enough wins to actually have a tournament caliber resume. And frankly, it may come down simply to whether or not they beat UConn on the fourth or win the Big East tournament title. Either way, this is not a team that I think you're going to want to play in February or in March or in a tournament setting. And I am not going to be looking forward to seeing them again on March 4th. If that game has any kind of Big East title implications on it, that's not going to be a fun matchup. That's not going to be something that you guys want to deal with. Villanova, if I had to make a prediction on what their season is going to end up being this year, they have all the makings of being a team that gets into the playing game of the NCAA tournament because the committee says, look, they don't have the resume. They're 16 and 13 or whatever it is, but they were missing these guys for all these games. Justin Moore missed all these games. You, they're back now. This is what they've done with him. We're going to put him in the playing game. Just say that that's where they're going to go. And then they make the sweet 16 out of it. That's, that's the kind of vibes that this team is getting to me. So <sighs> it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. I do think that Villanova is a good team. Now, I want to circle back before we talk about the upcoming schedule. I want to circle back on Adama and Andre Jackson getting into foul trouble because there's there's two things that we need to talk about here. Let's let's talk about the the former first. UConn had the most success offensively uh, last night in the lineups when they when when Villanova went small when they didn't have Eric Dixon on the floor when they were able to allow Adama Sanogo to kind of get some of those seals and scheme ways to get him touches in the post. Right, the counter to that is that Sonogo then has to guard perimeter players 23 feet away from the basket. One of the things that happens when you have big guys guarding perimeter players that far away from the rim is they're going to do something like jump when a guy throws a pump fake on a three-pointer. Now, I don't think that that specific, that, that, that specific uh, action should have been called a foul, but it's something that you are going to see it get called a foul quite a bit because Sonogo is big because he's jumping because he leaves his feet and because uh, Slater was able to create the contact. I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm biased in that opinion. Um, I was not shocked to see that get called a foul. It is what it is. It's one of the risks of having a big guy against a team that's going to play small. It's one of the advantages to being able to play small um, when you are uh, a team that does not have a big guy that can match up on the inside so that's something to think about there it is what it is it's going to happen it's one of the risks you kind of have to deal with it uh, if you are going to be a team that has bigger players it's just it is what it is now as far as Andre's technical foul this is the second straight game where he has gotten a technical for yelling at the opponent's bench at the opponent's coaching staff uh, after he hit a three in front of their bench Uh, the one against Georgetown I thought was um, a little bit kind of a little bit harsh, maybe a little bit unfair, just because, I mean, the coaching staff yelled at him. I, I, I don't want to say the coaching staff. Someone on the UConn bench yelled at him. He turned around and said something back. How are you only going to give a tech to the guy that's on the floor as opposed to the bench when they're yelling at him too? That's just kind of, that's one of those ones where the game is the game and you kind of have to deal with what you deal with to be able to do that, right? Uh, the one last night, Kyle Neptune, he hit a three. He looked directly in Kyle Neptune's face and he screamed something that that's going to be a tactical foul. That's going to get called every single time and probably deserved. Um, I think that this is something that you're going to have to live with a little bit. If you are Dan Hurley and if you are the UConn coaching staff, Um, his game 
relies on intensity. His game relies on energy. His game relies on all of that, that those cliche, cliche coach speak buzzwords. Um, that's just who he is. He plays hard. He plays with emotion. He plays with passion. Sometimes that's going to boil over. Sometimes it's going to result in technical fouls because you yell at someone to talk a little bit of shit. Now, this is something that is absolutely cannot keep happening, right? It gets Andre Jackson into foul trouble. It gives other team free points. Uh, when it happened in the moment you that the three that he hit put UConn up by six late in the first half with about three minutes left. And after the technical foul, Villanova went on a nine to four run and cut the lead from six down to one heading into the break, right? You cannot have situations like this continue to happen. It's something that has to stop in the moment. Now, when you're asking a dude to play off of emotion like this, like I said, sometimes it's going to end up boiling over. Hopefully, he's going to get run enough between now and when they play at Xavier to get that out of the system, and it's not something that you're going to end up seeing again. But to me, it just it, it, it's going to happen sometimes, right? You kind of have to live with the fact that it's going to happen once in a while, and it's going to happen um, in situations like this. Let's try to limit it. I don't want to see more than like one or two the rest of the year, but it kind of is what it is. You don't want to limit the intensity and emotion and passion that Andre Jackson plays with. You just, you don't. Because when he's not playing like that, it completely changes what UConn is as a basketball team. Um, All right. I'm going to end this pod by dropping in the conversation last night's After Dark had about UConn and reaction to the Villanova win. But before I do, I just want to mention like the next four games, are about as difficult of a four-game stretch as you can find in Big East play this year. They are at Xavier on New Year's Day. They're at Providence on January 4th. They play at home against Creighton on, I believe that's January 8th, and then they are at Marquette. Um, and I do believe that students are going to be back for the Marquette game. Um, but either way, the Cintas Center is going to be rocking on New Year's Eve, right? Sean Miller is a terrific basketball coach. Xavier is a great offensive team. That is going to be a tough game. Ed Cooley is as good of a coach as you're going to find at being able to scheme and game plan uh, one-game strategies to take your team down. You're playing on the road at Providence. I know that the students aren't going to be in session, but there's going to be a lot of uh, people there that are fired up. It doesn't To me, it doesn't really matter when you're playing at the amp or the dunk or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter if it's students or fans or people, the problem, whatever, it's going to be a raucous atmosphere. That's going to be a really difficult matchup. Now Ed has a kind of a strategy to build it off of after seeing what Villanova did. So that's not going to be an ideal matchup. That's not going to be an easy game for them. Creighton is to me still um, one of the most talented and one of the best teams in the big East. They've kind of gotten right a little bit. Ryan Kalkbrenner is back. He is uh someone that will take away everything that UConn does at the five. They have length. They have athleticism. They have a point guard that isn't as turnover prone as the, the guys that Villanova has. Like that is going to be a really, really difficult matchup for them. And it's a game where Creighton is five and zero against, uh, against UConn since they've been back in the big East. Like this is kind of a, a, a prove it game. Right. And then you're at Marquette and Marquette is one of those teams that plays five out and can pull people away from the basket and is going to force Adama Sanogo to guard on the perimeter and, and has enough pressure and enough pressing options to be a pain in the ass defensively to deal with. Like that's going to be a difficult matchup. Three road games against three tournament teams and playing a home game against another team that is probably good enough to be in the tournament. That is the, a team that we thought was going to be the best team in the conference heading into the season. This is a brutal four game stretch. 
if UConn wins all four of these games, uh, like we're going to have a, have a real kind of, again, there's going to be another situation when you kind of have to reset your expectations. I think going two and two in this stretch is something where I will be happy with it. You go three and one in this stretch. I'll be ecstatic. You go four and oh, and I don't even know what I'm going to do. Maybe we've got to start talking about undefeated possibilities this season. That's insane to say. I can't believe I just said it. Maybe I should take it back. But uh, this th these next four games, I think, is going to tell us a lot about what this UConn team is this year and what they're going to be in the Big East this season. So, yeah, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, hopefully you guys will go to fieldof68.shop, grab another one of these T-shirts. Remember, code HOLIDAY. 20% off. It's still the holidays. It's going to be the holidays uh, until after. I, I think it's officially the holidays until I take down my Christmas lights outside. And that ain't happening anytime soon. So until then, listen to the stuff from the Field of 68 after dark last night. Matt McCall, Greg Waddell, Jim Root, breaking down UConn and Villanova. And we will see you guys again next week. Hopefully we will have a fun interview for you on tap uh, when that happens. All right. About 10 minutes left in the show. That's more than enough time to get to UConn. I can't believe we're actually doing it, Rob. I deserve a raise for this. If you're watching, I can't even believe I said, if you're definitely watching this, waiting for us to talk UConn, Rob. So go ahead and add a couple hundred bucks onto my paycheck next week. Uh, Villanova UConn. This was a game that I think people expected UConn to cruise. At least Vegas expected them to cruise. If you look at the pregame point spread and this game was up in the air in the first half, especially UConn made a couple different runs and ultimately sustained those runs, held on to a lead late. Uh, and I don't know that I'd call it a comfortable win, but it also never really felt in question at this point. So uh, I guess let's just throw this up to all three of us. Is anybody willing to go out and say they think UConn is the best team in the country, given what we've seen so far? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Matt is. It's the, it's them or Houston for me. They're they're one two, in some order. Wow, no Purdue, Jim. You're not you're not throwing it, Purdue in there. They're close, but <laughs> I I I think in the in the postseason environment, I have a little still a little bit of question about their guard play. Like I have them like top six, but okay, not okay. quite in that, in that top one discussion. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I just like again, and I've said this on the field of sixty eight before. Watching Coach Hurley on the sidelines with this team, he has a confidence, and he knows how good they are. And he doesn't have to will them to victory by being, you know, over – I don't want to say dramatic is the right term, but he knows his team. Is, he's, he's almost – he's calmer on the sidelines when you watch him. I thought a huge play in the game – you know, everyone talks about Andre Jackson and just how much of a glue guy he is, and he's the guy that kind of keeps us all together. And a lot of what he does doesn't go in the stat sheet. And when the game's on the line, he drills a three in the corner. I thought that was a huge play. And that's, listen, the best teams in the country, talked about it before, you want to win a championship, they find ways to win. And I thought that three by him, listen, Sonogo didn't have his best game, right? 
and he had a finish down the stretch that was all world. He kind of caught it in traffic and had to go underneath a couple guys and reverse it on the other side of the rim. And when the game's online, you want to put the ball in your best players' hands and have them in in areas to be successful. And that's what the, the, both those guys did. And again, Jackson, a guy that's not a quote unquote three point shooter, knocks it down with the game on the line, and it just shows you. Coach Hurley has confidence in his kids. Those kids are playing that way. They didn't play their best tonight, but they're undefeated, and there's a huge target on their back. And everyone's going to play their best against them going forward. And it's all about just finding ways to win games. Some of them are going to be really pretty. Some of them aren't going to be pretty at all. And you got to find ways to win, and that's what they did tonight. Yeah, I mean, that, that team's awesome. I just what from the start of the year, watching them against mid-major teams and then going out to Portland, what they did, I've been – so impressed with them. They, I, I joke, they like, they're the get off the bus team for me this year where they get off and I'm already scared because they're huge. They're physical, <laughs> they're dominant. Uh, and, and it's been, you know, really impressive to watch them so far. You mentioned one play that the Jackson three, one I loved was, you know, they were struggling to score. It was Villanova was hanging with that whole first half and uh, Jordan Hawkins, like caught up to a backdoor cut in the lane, poked it away, saved it came down and hit a three on the other end. It was kind of like the defense into offense. Vescovy did that for Tennessee today. Demoy Hodge did the same thing for Missouri. Like the poke away defensively, you go get the three on the other end. It just kind of changes the momentum. It gives, I, I think gives the shooter more confidence too. They just got so many weapons. UConn does. They, they're deep. They wear some, they wear teams down. Like Villanova was right there, like I said, for a half. And I think the physicality just kind of wore on them because UConn has so many bodies to throw at you. Like Calcaterra has been arguably their best guard sometimes this year. And he played seven minutes tonight. Like they've got just crazy options out there. And uh, yeah, I, I think one or two, I, I'm very comfortable with saying that with UConn. Yeah. It was their defense too, right? I mean, they turned Villanova over 18 times. Villanova goes five for 22 from the three point line. Like that to me, they can win with their offense, but they can also win with their defense. And that to me is what makes them even more dangerous outside of just how talented they are in their personnel. Jim, how many points would Jay Wright have been worth tonight in this game? Eight, eight point finish. If Jay Wright's coaching that team, how much does that swing it? Not enough to win. I, I think, I think I actually think Neptune's game plan was awesome. He, he slowed the game down, forced UConn to shoot 33s to 20, 23 twos. Uh, they attacked some of, UConn's guards uh, put put like they're, they're more physical like Caleb Daniels and Cam Whitmore driving on the smaller guards for UConn I think that's why Calcaterra played so little the, the game plan was really good just I think UConn's defense and talent won out in the end yeah I'm uh, I'm officially ready to say it right now as of December 28th 2022 this is my number one team in the country. I've been avoiding it for so long, but you really want uh, that money on your paycheck, man. <laughs> I really want it. No, it's, I, it's real though, because I mean, you guys just hit on all the, the biggest points of it, but like this team has dudes, as you mentioned, but the special thing about them is it, you can tell, you can see it through your screen. Like they're all so comfortable playing whatever given role they need to play that night. And that's special. Like a lot of teams that have dudes, don't mesh that way. And there are some new faces that Hurley's been working in here. But like, I mean, talk about a guy like Donovan Klingon off the bench who comes in for 15 minutes a game. He knows that's what he's getting. And he's just an absolute monster in those 15 minutes. You know what you're going to get from Sonogo. You got the gunner in Hawkins. You got the setup guy in Newton. You got the glue guy. Do everything you need. All the dirty work in Jackson. Calcaterra comes off the bench ready to just shoot flames from his fingers. I'm all the way in on this team. And maybe, again, that might say more about the fact that 
I don't think there is an elite team right now because I wouldn't put this UConn team in years past looking at previous seasons. I don't think they would ever really sniff number one in the country. But this year, given what we've seen, I mean, this was their closest game results wise of the year. And it was still a game that I don't really feel was truly ever in question. First half, halftime, one point lead, maybe. But to me, it was clear they were the better team and it was just waiting for the moment they would start to pull away. So you have my attention, UConn. Congrats, Rob Doster. You're the the Field of 68, December 28th, Wednesday night, national champions. We'll see if that results in the banner. Hang the uh, one other Big East result, only a couple minutes left here, but it's it's worth noting. Uh, Xavier, St. John's, they had the mic'd up element to this on FS1 for us tonight. And Matt, you told us pre-show, you've got a take on this. Are you are you pro or anti-mic'd up? I mean, I, to me, it's as a coach, it just gives you something else you have to think about, right? Like you can't say a bad word, you can't curse, you can't do anything like that. So in the back of your mind... You've got to focus on this microphone being on your shirt and not just going out there and being who you are and coaching your team. Um, I thought it was almost a little too much to have it the entire game. Like I kept thinking that it was just say, we're just going to do it every now and then, but then it just continued and it was the whole game. I give both coaches a lot of credit for doing it. I don't know if that was a league mandated thing because it really gave you a gauge into each guy into their timeouts. What's the message? What's the messaging to the team? How are they doing this? But <laughs> for me, I, that would just give me another thing. I, man, do not say a bad word. Do not yell at a ref. Don't do that because it's going to be completely caught on camera. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a challenge. I think, And I thought both guys handled it well. I don't know if anybody told Sean Miller he wasn't supposed to curse. That was my <laughs> takeaway from the game. Field of 68's own Sean Miller. Uh, Jim, either on the mic'd up aspect or anything you saw in this game, uh, what was your takeaway from this one? Uh, just really impressed with Xavier's offense. Like it, I, I'm sure it's been said. I haven't watched every Field of 68 after dark, but uh, I think the lack of a point guard coming in was the concern, and Boom has totally settled them down there. Tonight they were going against a team that can pressure you as well as anybody in a raucous Carneseca arena and they kept their wits about them, got the ball inside to their, to their stars inside and took care of business. I mean, they were up like 10 pretty much the whole game and it got a little bit closer at the end, but it felt like Xavier's game the whole way. And that's, that's tough to do on the road. Yeah. Really, really impressive result from the Musketeers uh, who again, controlled that pretty much from start to finish. It did get close late, as you mentioned, but uh, ultimately a wire to wire road victory for Xavier, which some SEC teams, they can't say they got one of those tonight. My friends, Uh, this was an absolute blast as it always is here on the field of 68 after dark.